It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another huge edition of reliving the war it is the podcast where we do exactly what it says in the tin and relive the monday night wars between wwf and wcw we kicked it all off with king of the ring 1996 for the wwf and bash of the beach 1996 for wcw and we're slowly working our way through in 1997 we're at the tail end my name is nibs is joined as always by my co-host Simon Tackler. Simon, we're pretty much on track here heading in towards the back end of 1997 and I've got to say we've been pretty spoiled for the last couple of pay-per-views. Yeah, we've had some good ones. I keep expecting the wheels to fall off for WCW, but honestly things are pretty good. Although Starcade 97 is creeping up, so we do know when the wheels truly fall off. Yeah, we also know when it where the road gets a little bit bumpy for the WWF too as we head towards Survivor Series 1997, which is coming up as well. But we say that this, this podcast is reliving the war. What we don't actually tell you is we get a guest on every time we do a WCW pay-per-view because he's living the war. Uh, for the first time, generally, is when our good buddy Owen, aka Digital Beard, Melbourne's fantasticist i'm not going to go by what your actual twitter <laughs> handle says there owen but he is uh, melbourne's fantasticist photographer and just all-around good guy he joins us too welcome owen how are you man hello chance i'm very good um yeah i'm i'm on the verge of all wrestled out because a little bit of insider i've watched well here's the thing i vowed to you guys that for the rest of of me being on this show watching WCW forever, however long you want me to stay on watching WCW shows, I will watch the nitros in between pay per views, and that's what yeah. I've done. Yeah, we, we, we've been, we've we did say that was a bad idea at the at the time, but uh, so <laughs> any regrets? You, I was gonna say, if you wouldn't mind, I do have a couple notes between um, would have been the fall between Fall Brawl and um, Halloween Havoc between the uh, the, the those month pay per views of nitros. Um, mainly from the the October twentieth, so our go home paper, our go home Nitro before uh before Halloween Havoc. Um, the episode starts with the NWO laid out. Um, like it fades in the episode, the NWO laid out on the ground in the car park, but the NWO members are all the jobber members, which is Bagwell, Conan, Vincent, and Scott Norton, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, and then amazing, um, really awesome hype reel on Henning and, and Flair, which I think is replayed in the pay-per-view. I'm not too sure or something similar. Um, Norton and Bossman have a match and it's completely terrible. Um, but Stevie Richards is in the crowd with a sign that says, in memory of Ronnie Van Zant, who was the lead singer of Lennon Skidded and who died in 1977. <laughs> and then um, the Nitro 
the Nitro hype reels were better than the pay per view hype reels I found because they're hyping up all these match like all the they were hyping up the matches on the pay per view, but the matches were better like the hype reels were better than what what you get at the start of each pay per view. Um, and Booker T and Luger had an absolute barn burner. It was a good time. It was a time. I don't know if it was a good time. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Scott Stein and Scott Hall had an absolute belter of a match as the main event of that of that Nitro, of the Go Home Nitro. And then they did the whole shamozzle part when they they um to lead up to the, the cage match, to lead up to Hogan and Piper. And then all these things come in and then they lower the cage and the greatest ring entrance of all time, because as they lower the cage, Sting drops with the cage down onto the ring post and beats the crap out of everybody. And that was how they finished the go-home uh, Nitro before Halloween Havoc. There's some really strange uh, little things that violate OH&S in old school <laughs> WCW Nitros. Ooh, yeah. Do you remember, Simon, there was an episode two where um, Sting to rescue DDP comes down from the rafters, hitches him like well obviously he's wearing a harness but basically hitches him and then goes right up we go yeah and just Terrifying. essentially ride yeah essentially rides a fallen ddp who can't protect himself or do anything uh up into the rafters but, i yeah. can't believe either guy agreed to that fair enough to trust that cable to carry one person to but to be like and i'll clip you and then we'll both go all the way back up to this arena no chance in hell would i do that as I fight off the NWO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It, it was a wild time on Nitro, but let's get straight into Halloween Havoc 1997. Now, I've got to say, the WCW at the moment, their video production, they're trying. They've got yes. transitions. They've got, they've, they're up their game just a little bit. They, got, they should change the font because it does make the H's look like B's. But aside... <laughs> Halloween Bavic, yeah, yeah, Halloween. It, it was when when the when the Hogan one came up and it said Bogan. I was like, that can't be right. Bog Bogan, that's me. Bog I'm Bogan. a Bog Bogan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but look, they're definitely trying. Clearly, someone in the production department has gone. Look, come on, guys, we do need to lift our game just a smidge. So they're getting better. They're trying their absolute best. But what did you think of it, Simon? Well, we can't keep having this conversation, especially at the end of 97, um, between Bad Blood, which we just reviewed, and Survivor Series, which we're about to watch and review. This video package is now like, it's not even a competition. It's pathetic. Mm. The WWE has them beat in the intro department, and we can't even have the conversation and be like, oh, WCW, put in effort. Doesn't even matter. It's like watching a movie (laughs) compared to watching a TV show on Channel 31. Like, it's not the same. Yeah. What about you, On? What do you think? Yeah, I I wrote that the intro vi- <laughs> my 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 exact note is intro videos are getting better, but are still shit. <laughs> yeah. It, it basically sums sum- it up perfectly. It basically uh, sums it up right there. But uh, we then get to the regular three man um, welcoming as we do at the top of the pay per view. Dusty, Bobby, and Tony all in smashing Halloween Havoc uniforms too. I should point out. Uh, I, I have a feeling that this is because they've got Slim Jim logos as part of the branding, but uh, they do look rather flash, and I will take an arm and a leg to try and get my hand on one of those. <laughs> uh, we then get to our first match to start it all off, Yuji Nagata versus Ultimo Dragon. Uh, Slim Jim, I can tell you right now, has absolutely got their money's worth at the moment. The crowd seems to absolutely love Ultimo Dragon. This is something that shocked us a couple of months ago, but... 
Uh, Owen, you, you're coming into this with some fresh eyes. And when you see a match with these two guys here as well, um, what initial thoughts and what do you think of the match? Uh, I mean, I could, I probably could have turned this pay-per-view off after, after the first match and be happy with what I saw. Cause this is, I mean, you you two know me, this is, this is me. This wrestling is, this is my type of wrestling. Um, yeah. You got two of probably the greatest wrestlers to wrestle like, like Japanese wrestlers of all time. Um, Yuji Nagata was 29 in this match. He just debuted in 1992. It's actually quite funny because when I went to Japan in 2018, I saw both these guys wrestle in the same week. So they're still going around and still wrestling quite well at this, um, at this current age. Um, absolutely, I love this match. This match was absolutely awesome. I made note of Yuji Nagata's age as well because I was like, man, he looks pretty old. And then I realized he was 29. He's one of those guys who looked old when he was young. But then when he was older, you were shocked at how old he was. You're like, did yeah. you know he's 50? And you're like, damn, I would have thought he's 40. He just had a yeah. weird 20 years of looking 40 the whole time. Yeah, I, I have a I have a brief Eugene Nagata story. So when New Japan first came to Australia in 2018, I was I was lucky enough to work that show and take photos. So I've taken photos of Eugene Nagata. But in the afternoon when I walked into the venue, um, I was walking down the stairs of Festival Hall to go into the to, to the downstairs area, and Eugene Nagata walked upstairs past me, and I was like, and I was with Andy Coyne, um, former MCW and current Deathmatch and Under commentator, and we looked at each other, going, "We used to play him in NWA Revenge." <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing too that I wanted to point out, um, so Raven's flock turns up during this match just to sit by uh, the crowd. Did you notice that they don't actually have a name and they're referred to as just? The misfits. Tony Schiavone says, "Oh, Raven's followers, or maybe they're his groupies." And I thought they're not his groupies, Tony. But anyway, <laughs> that was an odd choice of word there. The, the misfits part really got me, like, because I'm just like, surely, like, someone's on the headset going, "Don't say misfits, don't say misfits, <laughs> don't say misfits." Uh, but uh, look, speaking of this match, though, like, it was stiff as hell from both men. This was oh, some yeah. real hard-hitting stuff here and i thought the ending was really really cool with the dragon sleeper reversal into that arm bar getting dragon to tap i mean ultimate dragon is really coming into his own here and simon like first off we've answered the question yes he was referred to as ultimate dragon but um we're now seeing why he was like one of the one of the cruiserweights that stood out and maybe it was one of the guys that wwe picked up because they didn't pick up a lot of cruiserweights yeah, they picked him up a little bit later. Maybe they kind of missed the boat, but Ultimo Dragon in his prime here was so good. And I feel like my memory of him is this era when he's a face because he's better when he's allowed to be flashy and not relying on Sonny Ono cheating for him. Even though Sonny's a pretty good manager, I prefer Ultimo in this role, sort of being the underdog and then busting out the flashy kicks and flips. He was awesome. I think he goes yeah. Rey Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon as the most sort of impressive cruiserweights for the time. Yeah, correct. And that and that goes on, goes to my point that like, you know, you can sort of see um, in Vince's mind, at least once WCW is dead and buried, it's just like when he's thinking of cruiserweights, he's basically thinking of Kidman, Dragon, and uh, Mysterio. That's that's the division, damn it. <laughs> um <laughs> I must say, I, I think my, one of my favorite parts of this match was, was when Yuji Nagata was laying in some of those kicks, you could hear Heenan wincing all the time. He was like, huh, huh, and he was like, he was popping for it because he knew that, that, that those kicks weren't worked and they were just 
absolutely stiff as all heck. Um, this was like a typical junior heavyweight match of the time, like a Japanese juniors match of the time. Like the J Cup had really just started kicking off in, in New Japan. Um, and you just get the likes of like Hayabusa, Ultimo Dragon, Ultimo Dragon, of course, um, Liger, um, and a bunch of other guys like dominating and Eugene Nagata as well. Um, but I think I, two things I noticed was the fact that Dragon was super over. Like everything he did, the crowd was just like popping loud for, but also baby Charles Robinson. <laughs> yeah. Is this his first pay-per-view? Well. I feel like we haven't noticed him yet. Yeah. Cause I noticed him when I was watching like in between like the watching the nitros the, the past week, but I don't think I've seen him in a pay-per-view yet. No, I mean, he's, he's just, one, yeah. He's just mainly a ref here. It's only when he gets to when you get to Ric Flair as WCW president, that's where he sort of starts coming into his own a little bit more as opposed to just being a ref. Like yeah. right now, like he's at this, he's at the same um, level of, you know, infamy as say like, you know, referee Tim White would be in the WWF. Like you recognize him, you know who he is, but he's not an Earl Hebner. He's not a Mike Chioda. Well, uh, we're, in, whereas... we're in October 97 here. Yeah. He only debuted a month before as a ref in WCW. So he's brand new. And, and the WCW refs that do that are like, you know, the ones that stand out, you got your Mickey J's and uh, your Nick Patrick's. They're the, they're like the, their WWE Earl Hebner and, um, and Mike Kyoto sort of equivalent. But uh, we should also quickly point out before we wrap up this match too, that he, that uh, Nagata got a payoff cash in an envelope at the end of it for taking our dragon, which I thought was a nice touch, but uh, we'll move on to the next little segment here, which was Disco Inferno at the WCW online spot. Now, Simon, you might be able to answer this one better than I could. That backdrop, is that the old WCW Saturday night WCW cutout? It kind of did look like it because he had the futuristic look already. And I think they were just recycling uh, some old sets that they had hanging around. It was also weird to see Mark Madden because we've normally seen just the the little internet nerd guy who we didn't know who he was. But yeah, they've moved on to bigger and maybe better things. <laughs> um, I must say, the, our little WCW internet nerd's been fired. Where has he gone? It was, it was a different guy on the computer this month. Yeah. I think he might... He might he must have bragged too much at school on the Monday and got fired. <laughs> or, he's been, or he was upgraded from WCWWrestling.com to their other branches of sites like WCW Cooking or WCW <laughs> Motoring or stuff like that. Um, one, one interesting thing there too, um, Jacqueline, who is in a feud with Disco Inferno at the moment, comes in and beats up Disco Inferno. So even back in 1997, Disco Inferno is still a chump. Uh, <laughs> well, well then... We'll get on to our next match, which is Guido versus Jericho. I got to say, um, he looks like, I, I've written that he looks like a default creator fighter in Mortal Kombat Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing, but like it was a weird sort of thing to, weird sort of thing to do. But this is going to be one of those things, and Simon, you're probably going to hate me for this, but I reckon Mike Tanay did a pretty damn good job setting up to the audience who uh, Guido was here. Look, I guess he did. He explained his history and how him and Jericho were former tag team partners. And okay, I'll let Mike Tanay go on that one. Honestly, yeah. I was more distracted by Ghetto's uh, crop top that he was wearing <laughs> and the bleach blonde hair. He's a world away from how maybe modern fans would know him in New Japan. Yeah. He looks very different. 
Yeah, what's crazy is the fact that like Gato, I mean, in the past like decade has won Booker of the Year numerous times because he's head. For those who don't know, like he's the head Booker of New Japan Pro Wrestling now, and has been since about 2011. Um, yeah, so he's booked like he booked all the Okada and Omega angles all the Tanahashi runs, like he's booked everything. The guy's a genius when it comes to booking. Um, so yeah, he, and he also, he, um, he's also a very nice man too. I've fortunately met him and Jado when they came out in 27, uh, in 2017. Um, they tied together between 1990 and 2010. So they were taken together for tw- over for yeah, 20 years, nearly 20 years. Um, and they have one of the greatest, wrestling shirts of all time which is a black and white photo of them on the front saying f you we are jado and gato and trying to find a version of that shirt is near impossible um but yeah this match was really cool i really like this match it was kind of um i was so after i watched the the pay-per-view i actually listened to bischoff's uh, episode of 83 weeks about this uh, pay-per-view and he believes this is one of jerko's top five matches even the botched uh, Frankensteiner? Aside from the botched Frankensteiner, which is, <laughs> I was going to get to, which is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. It, it's, has it's, has a, Bischoff watched more than 10 Jericho matches? That's, <laughs> that's a bit much. I thought it was fine. I thought it was maybe one of the best we've watched so far because he was more aggressive. I thought they had good chemistry. It wasn't the top five Jericho matches. And yeah, the botch definitely takes points off. Although, how did Jericho not die? He deserves credit for that. Oh. Mm. This was actually like, and it's it's really interesting that you've got, this is like Halloween Havoc is a marquee pay-per-view for WCW. And it starts off with essentially two guest spot, um, guest mm. spot matches because, and they did the job. It, it lit up the crowd. The crowd was really, really hot. Even up until like that, there was a kayfabe reason for that botch as well. They're just like, oh, Ghetto knows um, Jericho so well that he managed to get out of it kind of thing. And you could tell that after the line tamer put put it to bed, it was very much one of those um, like, oh, oh, I don't really feel too good. Let's just go home now, go home now kind, yeah. of, kind of endings. But aside from that, like it was a very serviceable match. And I'm going to go maybe that, um bischoff just likes like saying that hey i booked a match with you know and jericho to make it a top five maybe um actually on the episode of a three weeks um because they say that like at the start of at, like during the ring entrances they're like um this is like a like an unannounced match between um uh gato and jericho um so actually so i, I i'm taking i'm taking your your gimmick here simon i did my research mm. <laughs> um so this the, the match in this spot was supposed to be Goldberg and Meng, and then they canned it last minute. Okay, that would have been cool. Yeah, so on the episode eighty three weeks, um, Bishop was like, he's like, yeah, this was supposed to be, um, this was supposed to be a um, Goldberg and Meng match, but we had to can it last minute, and then like obviously they inserted Goldberg later into the you know later into the program, um, but yeah, so. That was supposed to be a Goldberg and Meng heavyweight big boy match, and they've turned it into a really awesome juniors match. Yeah, not a bad uh, substitute there. But um, yeah. uh, look, as much as everyone really wanted to see Meng versus Goldberg, uh, which to be fair would have been a pretty good match, but look, this was pretty serviceable for what it was. Uh, it got the crowd going, and uh, we then get to our Mean Gene segment of the night, the first Mean Gene segment of the night, which 
it, it means it it um it's been a while here for me and Jeannie probably those millions of uh, royalty fees weren't coming in for the first uh, half hour or so of the uh, of the pay view. But the interesting part that I thought during his plug was that he mentions that Fleetwood Mac were in the same arena, uh, like the week beforehand. Like always, you gotta love that uh, that WCW would love to cling on to any form of pop culture reference, no matter how un no matter how unrelated it would be to their audience. But um. Here's what I've wrote, wrote down, though, in regards to the segment. Deborah outshines Mongo in that promo by leaps and bounds. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, Deborah was good here. So Mean Gene's talking to Deborah, who has a surprise for Mongo, because as we learned on the last pay-per-view, Jeff Jarrett was meant to wrestle Mongo, and we were all dreading it, saying not again. Well, here it is. Jeff Jarrett, a week prior, jumped to the WWE so we don't have to see Mongo versus Jeff Jarrett. Oh, again. is that what happened? Yeah. So this is the point where, yeah, Double J did another one, one of his uh, jumps across because he jumped more than anyone. So anyway, we don't have to deal with that, but we have to deal with Deborah's surprise for Mongo. Uh, the, the line of the night that I thought was there, Mean Gene, when Mongo comes in and they start doing their little uh, demonstrating with each other, he's like, come on, this should be in a court, not a ring. <laughs> it's just so, so good. Um, we'll then get to our next match. This is the real tentpole when it comes to Halloween having 1997. People often bring up Halloween having 1997 as a fantastic event for WCW. This is one of their best events. Having watched it, and Owen, you having watched it for the first time, you can clearly see that that's not correct. That's however, all horse, that's all horse do do that that statement. <laughs> however, you can see why people have this sort of reven, uh, revisionist sort of uh, memory of Halloween Havoc 1997 because Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. This is well worth the hype, the price admission. I think it got 1997. Wrestling Observer Match of the Year, if I'm correct, or one of those uh, dirt sheet match of the year. WCW's WCW. Match of the year. Their go. own internal awards. Right. Um, yeah, because every time you hear anyone talk about this match, it's always, oh, the match of the year, 1997, match of the year, 1997. And it is. It's a damn good match. Let's start from the top here because I reckon Douchebag Eddie in WCW is a, such an underrated character. And uh, Owen, oh, I'm not sure how much of. Uh, Eddie, you've seen in WCW, but this is basically his final form. Like, like the filthy animals and stuff like that. That's a shade of what he, what he was. But this is prime Eddie Guerrero, and he's he's finally reached the apex of his character here. Yeah, I was so I was really it was actually funny. I said to Simon last night when um when we were hanging out, um, I didn't realize until I think I was two and a half three episodes into my nitro expedition i'm like i didn't realize that there was like this was it was like this halloween havoc like it was this match um but yeah i agree with what you said nims like like the lead up nitros i've seen like eddie was phenomenal um i don't know if you guys simon i know you've watched the nitros semi recently um there was like there was a match that, that ray had against the against a nameless um luchador like a masked guy and it was just eddie in a mask and even that match ruled <laughs> like yeah. it was like a seven minute match like throwaway match on um nitro to heat up the the feud and it was so good um 
So leading into the pay-per-view, like, and then now that you know, like, and me now watching those Nitros leading into the pay-per-view, now, like, the match is even better because I've seen all the lead-up and all the matches and all the segments, and it's even better. Um, yeah, it was absolutely just so good. Um, I actually heard somewhere recently that Ray said he was supposed to lose, the, he was supposed to lose this match. Yeah, that was the original plan. Uh, the way they tell it is that they basically both fought for that ending to be changed. So if Ray lost here, he would have been unmasked and that would have changed everything. He would have been unmasked, you know, what, all a year or so earlier than he ended up, two or years. two years earlier than he yeah. would have. Um, but yeah, I think they made the right call here. I don't think that would have worked. It's very cool to sort of see, like, Eddie is just such a blatant, d-bag here because he's like he's trying to rip the mask and he actually gets a good chunk of the mask ripped as well and i've also made a note like this is like you've mentioned a lot of criticism about like you know the choreographed spots that you see in wrestling today simon this had a fair bit of like you know people working together but this is these sequences actually felt realistic they felt natural as opposed to like you know you do your spot i'll do my spot and even when eddie puts ray in a tree of woe it is so seamless how it happens. Like every single move leads to the next one. It's all just poetry in motion. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to compare it to because if we're talking about Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, we're basically talking for this style like 1 and 1A of being Mm. able to do this. Everyone else is trying to do this. But yeah, you're right. And I think a lot of it comes from Eddie Guerrero in this match too of being super vicious And it's not just about him doing cool moves. It's about him trying to beat the crap out of Rey Mysterio. He just happens to make it look fancy. And then Rey Mysterio at the same time, Eddie Guerrero sort of slows it down a lot. And then Rey has to make a comeback to hit a flashing move. It's not like, all right, now we'll stand up, throw each other into the ropes and pat each other on the back while you run past me and all of that stuff. Um, Yeah, this match is amazing. Also... One spot in particular, and Ray has discussed this, you know, years later as well, where Ray is holding on to Eddie. He does a moonsault off the ropes into a DDT. They would try this again years later and never be able to hit it perfect. But you see it in this match, and it's that move is like a video game. I don't know how yeah. they hit that. Um, to your point, Nim, so like you're saying that, like it felt like a, you know, it kind of felt real because it was very. Like it flowed kind of quite naturally. Yeah. Um, like Ray's on record is saying that they actually like pretty much like 90% of this match was called in the ring. Like they didn't plan any of this. It was just kind of like, you know, we've worked each because I think they'd worked each other previously in Mexico and they're like, look, let's just call it in the ring, whatever. And obviously it's the, was the best option because this is probably one of the I'd probably say this is probably one of the top ten in the top ten greatest matches of all time. And I think a lot of people probably agree with me on that one. Um and I think the commentators were too, because I I actually I only wrote three notes this entire match because I was just I mm. forget how much I love this match and I was just transfixed by it. Um, you can tell that Dusty Heenan and Shivani were watching this match as fans because they weren't commentating very much on it. They were like popping for everything and quite naturally as well. There's a line actually at the very end of the match, and I think it. Tony Tony Schiavone says it, and he's he's well known for his hyperbole, but he actually says at the end of it, like this will go down as the greatest title match in wrestling history. 
And yeah. you're not you're not far off the mark there. Um, another cool thing that I thought, which added to the visual, is Ray's mask sort of has that Tobey Maguire and Spider Man rip to it. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is very very cool. But yeah, a solid match there. And uh, yeah, it well worth the hype. Do yourself a favor when people talk about how good Halloween Havoc 1997 is, they talk about how good this match is, and it basically props up that entire pay per view. Uh, let's get to our next segment, which is another Mean Gene Oakland plug for the hotline, but then it segues into a Hogan and Bischoff NWO locker room, <laughs> locker room, I think, and little vignette, and I'll start off with you, Simon, because I think you and I probably share the exact same first note here, but what did you think about the transition <laughs> to, um, to when he does the throw? Let's check in with the NWO locker room. Well, they throw to Hogan and Bischoff, who were obviously waiting live and missed their cue. So you've just got Hogan and Bischoff <laughs> staring at the camera for what? <laughs> It's about two seconds, but it feels like it's two minutes. Oh, it felt like, like forever. And then they launch into it. But here's the thing. They launch into it and don't know when to stop because in our memories, we all know the amazing NWO promos in vignettes. They're pre-recorded, they're edited, and they're chopped together to look really, you know, grungy and everything cuts into itself. I didn't realize how many of these they tried doing live on pay-per-view. And every time they've tried live on pay-per-view, they have failed miserably because so miserably. these guys are obviously too confident and are thinking, ah, just roll the tape. We'll just talk for five minutes. This was absolute madness from Hulk Hogan. Mm. What was he talking about? I, 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 my note is Hogan is rambling and Bischoff doesn't help. It make, <laughs> he, Bischoff doesn't help matters. It is like filling in a word count at this point in time. <laughs> Now, you would have seen a lot of these like little vignettes and 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 oh and when you sort of see the highlights it does seem like man that, that was really cutting edge back in the day when you actually see it live uh <laughs> what's the thoughts so here's the thing about 30 seconds into this promo i actually have a note that says this is a great promo from these two and then two and a half minutes later i go okay now it's gone for too long <laughs> That like I actually watched a YouTube video that went for four minutes, and this promo was still going. Mm. Promo went forever. There's a, there's a line from Tony Schiavone at the end of it when it finally ends is somebody put the brakes on this program. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny too in the the golden era of Hulk Hogan in the WWE, so his 80s to early 90s run. Every Hogan promo on any pay-per-view was the highlight of that show when he would just ramble for a few minutes before his match. It would be like the best promo ever. Hogan as a heel is amazing, but please don't let him do it live because he can't do it. There is, uh, I'll, before we quickly wrap up on the Hogan thing, when you are right because I still remember his um, promo like vividly for um, against Ultimate Warrior at, at um, WrestleMania 6. And, oh, and I'll paraphrase it here, but it's essentially, when we crossed the border into Canada, brother, I was hovering over Skydome. <laughs> and he makes it sound like he, it's the, in because you couple that with Warriors ramblings, it is the most bizarre, like, wrestling promo ever, but somehow it just goes, I'm pumped. I'm absolutely pumped. <laughs> here, complete, Simon's right. If he like keep him away from microphone, just let it. If you're gonna do it, make sure it's a pre-record, but don't ever put him near a live microphone. 
So we get on to our next match. It's the one that we've all been waiting for. We've just had the wonders that is Rey Mysterio versus Rey, uh, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Now we get into Mongo versus a mystery man. And Alex Wright is that mystery man. And uh, clearly this match is so meh that the commentators are even like starving and just thinking, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? Because they start talking about the main event. It's, it's This is essentially, and I've written down here, Simon, this entire match is a live read for the main event cage match because that's all they talk about. <laughs> they don't even care about this. And I'm really shocked they kept it on the pay-per-view seeing as Jarrett jumped ship. So why even bother? Mm. Um, but they kept it on the show. They replaced Jarrett with Alex Wright. And you're right. They used this as 15 minutes to hype up the main event. And is Hogan going to go ahead with it? And what's Sting going to do? And blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, kind of a weird one. I, I do want to say, though, the logic of Alex Wright replacing Jeff Jarrett is there if you think about it. I'm going to mm. give whoever booked this more credit than they deserve. But Jeff Jarrett, pretty blonde guy, second generation with a music gimmick. Alex Wright, pretty blonde guy, second generation, music gimmick. He is the techno-German version of Jeff Jarrett's Nashville <laughs> country music gimmick. So there you go. It's all related. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's like, is good, yeah. I like to think that in like some form of German multiverse, Jeff Jarrett is booked <laughs> in in like a WSXW yeah. kind of show in Germany. Where, uh, he replaces Alex Wright. Alex Wright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, look, this match is just absolutely awful. I don't know what Mongo McMichael, uh, Steve McMichael is doing here as a wrestler because he's Half of his moves is him falling on someone else. He's just like, like, okay, Owen, you don't, you all you've known from watching Mongo matches are his pay per view effort. Now, pay per view is the cream of the crop. Oh, and the nitros that he's been on as well. Does he look like a guy that could even pretend to be a professional wrestler at this point in time? Well, also, I was going to rephrase what you just said because I'm going to rephrase it in as in, I don't know what Steve McMichael was doing here as a wrestler. <laughs> like it was just I I actually don't have any notes for this match. <laughs> what do you write aside from it hypes the main event for 15 minutes? My notes and then it goes in. for 15 minutes. <laughs> My notes kick in when a certain jacked former footballer rocks up. Yeah, so just to give you the sequence of events here, Mongo, and I know, and I'm gonna point this put this on record, very clearly sees Goldberg getting into the ring. Then Mongo also goes after the ref when he realizes what he's meant to do and then gets surprised by Goldberg. Like, where did you come from? I don't know how. So the referee is distracted and Goldberg in the ring hits a spear, a jackhammer. He walks around. He looks at the crowd and not once does the referee think what's happening behind me. It is one of the worst ref distractions ever. And also Goldberg as a kind of heel before they settled on what he really was is kind of weird. So he was paid off by Deborah to attack Mongo and his payoff was Mongo's Super Bowl ring. And did you know, see Goldberg goes up to the, the camera to like brag and Goldberg doesn't know how to trash talk yet. And he just points at his hand. He's like, see this? 
this is mine and the camera just stays on him and he doesn't know but what else to say. then he does go he's he's because like, we then he was like who's next and he looked at it again he was like this one goes straight to my pocket i was like <laughs> yeah that's not where rings go <laughs> it, it's, it's so bizarre and and do you notice too that when goldberg attacks mongo he gets cheered yeah yeah, <laughs> it's it's such an odd little thing. It, it it's although I will I will put it put it this way. Going by the whole logic of like you know oh they need to find a mystery man da 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 da. Alex Wright is just used as a patsy here because Goldberg, a former football player, clearly wants the Super Bowl ring of another former football player. So there's a level of effort that WCW went to that I will at least pay them <laughs> a, a bit of respect. There can can we just appreciate like. Goldberg hurling Alex Wright onto Mongo for the pin. Like he picks him up. Like he picks him up how I pick up pick up my dog and I drop him on his bed. But he mm. just went pick up her and threw him across the ring to pin Mongo and that was it. It's uh, the you can see why he was like picked at like the power plant is like, hey, this guy could be pretty good because he was insane. And uh to this to this day still going. It's funny, here's a fun, here's a fun fact for you. He's actually been a WWE nostalgia act longer than his active WCW career was. Wow. That's, like, that's, that's a good stat. Like, think about that. That's uh, pretty pretty crazy, isn't it? But um, we'll, we'll then get on to our next little uh, segment here. It's a Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth promo. Uh, they're in the NWO locker room. And I don't know if it's because we've just sat through what seemed to be 20 minutes of Hogan rambling, but this is so much better than Hogan's. Yeah, streets ahead, and it's such an odd combination having the soft-spoken Elizabeth, Elizabeth, uh, with um, with Randy Savage, because it's <laughs> it's such a night and day sort of thing. Too, I will point out though, props to uh, Randy Savage. He knows where his uh, bread's buttered because he gets a Slim Jim plug in. <laughs> I want to know how much he was paid for every time he said it because he said Slim Jim, I think three times in this promo and it didn't really make sense, but he was like, here at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, I'm going to get you DDP. And then he's like, I'm going to snap into you like a Slim Jim. And yeah, and and he even went so far as to, he was wearing his black and white NWO madness outfit. But for this night, he had the mismatched, Slim Jim colored Halloween Havoc jacket on top of it because, again, Slim Jim is where the money's at for Randy. I have three notes for this segment. I forgot how good, like, Macho's cadence is because he talks like this and then he talks like this and then he goes to, and he goes up like it's the, it's so good. But also, I never picked, I, I forgot how he has the thickest neck in the world. Mm. His neck is like a tree stump. It's like, it's it's amazingly thick. You can't even see his Adam's apple. It's that thick. But also, my favorite line of the whole promo was when it finished up. He was like, it's party time in Las Vegas. It's it's a gamble, but we like gambling, don't we? Yes, we do. And then he just walks out. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. He's he's almost borderline ultimate warrior levels here. Yeah, uh, it was like, the, they should have had a little disclaimer on the bottom. The... <laughs> the this pro this promo was brought to you by Pablo Escobar because <laughs> oh my god, Liz is incredibly soft spoken and it's such a it, it, like in comparison to Randy Savage, it's like going from like it's like going from like an ice bath into jumping into a ream of hot water uh, thing we do. That's the, <laughs> that's the level of uh, of 
difference it is there. But uh, we get to our next match, which is Disco Inferno versus Jacqueline. Now, Disco has a little rainbow nameplate, like it comes up at the bottom of the screen. And as much as I, and I just paid out um, Disco in the previous segment he was in, as much as I pay him out, you can't deny that he was over back in the day. And he was surprisingly over even until, I think Simon, he's in, I don't think there's an entire um, bit of WCW where he's not popular. Yeah, no, I still stand by it that Disco should have been picked up by the WWE in 2001. He's another guy that you're like, surely he would work there. He's in good shape. He could talk, had a silly gimmick, a gimmick, can make yeah. it work as a heel or a face. But this is basically Disco's prime and the perfect story for him, where he basically plays, you know, the arrogant male wrestler who's wrestling a woman and doesn't really want to hit her, but knows he can beat her. And he plays into it. There's a lot of stalling and, you know, BS in this match, but you know what? They keep the crowd the whole time and it works. Yeah. Disco especially uh, is on his A game in this match. He's great. Crowd is surprisingly so into this. And mm. every time, were you actually shocked though? And uh, because I don't know how much of Jacqueline's work you would have seen in WCW, but how over and how much the crowd loved her. Like the minute she gets a hand on Disco or any form of contact with Disco, they go bonkers. Yeah, all. All I've really seen is her management stuff. I didn't really get this. I'm, I, I, like I've seen snippets of her wrestling here and there, and especially with uh, like WWF. Um, but yeah, the crowd. The, the, uh, my my note is the crowd were fully invested in, the, in this match because they hate like like they like Disco, but they love her. And then it was just like, yeah, whenever he went near her, they like full booed him. Mm. But that was. But what? Did you notice what? Did you notice the start? The, uh, at the start, they were like, "This is a not." Um, it was like it's something not, to do the, yeah, not the match because of the athletic commission of Las Vegas yeah. w- won't allow a, ma- a female challenge for the title. Hmm. Yeah, like, they won't. They won't officially sanction a male versus female match for a um for a title. So this is just a grudge match. It's just, uh, it's it's for pride essentially. But um, and you can tell Dusty hated it. He did not want any part because he was like, and he kept covering up. He's like, oh, he's like, I just, I can't watch this. How can we have this match? It's ridiculous. We need to be keep. We we need we need to be keeping on the NWO instead. I'm like, just say you don't want to see a guy wrestling chick. <laughs> That's actually a great like BS justification. Like, no, no, it's not that I don't want to watch this match. It's like, oh, we got to look out for the NWO. It's like, come on. You just made us sit through Mongo and Alex Wright, you know? Like, did you think that was more important? I do want to say, though, this match is interesting, too. This was meant to happen months ago, earlier in 97. Disco refused to lose to Jacqueline, so they fired him. They called his bluff because I think he said, well, I'll go to WWE and WWE didn't want him. So anyway, so basically he had to go crawling back. I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure there's more nuance, but it's funnier this way. And then anyway, so when they signed him back, they're like, hey, we're we're booking you versus Jackie again and you know what to do. So, and he's like, yeah. cool, what arena am I counting lights in? <laughs> yeah, so a great story for this match. Um, but how, how lethal were Jacqueline's kicks? Oh, like man. she laid those, oh, she laid those kicks into his back. They were pretty much the same velocity as, um, as Gato's kicks and, yeah. and Nagata's kicks. They were 
furious. At I one, loved it. At one point, she uh, mounted him like, you know, MMA style and started punching him. And I think she laid those in too, because it was like, if I'm going to get you to believe that I can hurt this guy, I'm going to have to go harder than I would against another woman. And Jackie yeah. goes for it. And you know what? We, we've seen Jackie like beat up Chris Benoit a couple of months ago too. So she wasn't afraid to uh, yeah get in there yeah. with the guys. I forgot, oh, with um with um with Sullivan. Uh, with Sullivan, Sullivan yeah. 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 Um, one thing I want to touch on just before we like move on, Nims, um, is like I know this guy's been a bit a bit weird lately. How like his weird Twitter feud with Cody Rhodes a couple of years ago that was really 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 strange. Um, but he. Technically, as a wrestler, he bases so well. Like, as a base, he was doing everything, like, for Jacqueline. Like, all of the flips, all the runners, all, like, all the sunset flips and stuff, he bases so well, and I was so impressed by that. Well, do you remember, Simon, a couple of months back, what was the, he had a cruiserweight title shot against Dean Malenko that was a surprise barn burner. Surprisingly good. I think he was one of those guys who, super solid in everything, and, you know, obviously knew what he was doing, but kind of didn't have to rely on it because he could do everything else well. He mm. kind he still wrestles now. And how old is he? And still, because, and still looks the same too, basically. Yeah, because uh, I guess he didn't wreck his body. He he was just the guy you would do moves to. So <laughs> also, uh, and I know it seems like we can't go an episode without mentioning WCW NWO Revenge. Also has a great move set in WCW NWO Revenge. <laughs> Uh, with the chart, with was it what was it called? The chart, the chart bus, the chart buster, the chart buster which was the stunner. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, so if if anyone's having a I don't know a revenge tournament, <laughs> we get three of your friends around. Uh, underrated sleeper is uh, Disco Inferno. <laughs> it's a couple of years later, but he would then also add the village people's elbow. So he would oh. use the stunner and and the elbow. <laughs> He, he's not quite um, Chris Jericho in levels of reinventing himself because in the 2000s, he moved from Disco Inferno to just Disco, like Cisco, like yeah, D-I-S-Q-O. Which, which is genius. Whoever thought of that, so good. <laughs> uh, but we'll get on to our next match, which is Kurt Hedding versus Ric Flair. Kurt Hedding uh, coming out in Ric Flair's robe is just the best visual you will ever see. And... I don't know how how old is Ric Flair at this point in time. So he's still a he's still a two he's still a thirteen time world champ. So he hasn't got uh, three more title reigns. But him sprinting to the ring, he is like fast forward just to come and take out Kurt Hedick. This is just so good. And as I'm watching this match, all I'm thinking is, why was WCW so keen to move him on? Because he's so over. He's like the most popular guy in the company by by a clear Flemington straight between him and the next person. Like, why on earth did they keep wanting him to get um, moved on? He was almost 50. He was 48 at this point. And hmm. I know, obviously, he would keep wrestling into the 2000s in WWE and be pretty good still. They just thought he was too old and not over with modern fans. But you're right. The live crowd still treat Ric Flair like any crowd would. You know, in the in the eighties or whatever, Flair was the man. Still, he just didn't have a main event spot. Yeah, really strange. And Owen, how much of a like? Because this is because you would have seen a good of uh, a good amount of Ric Flair's run in the two thousands, and like you know, not prime Ric Flair, where he could still go, but you know, not to this extent. When you see, 
you know, the Ric Flair that you're used to compared to WCW Ric Flair in 1997. What are the, what's, how's it stack up? Yeah, I, I did like when I started watching wrestling, it was when, um, it was when, when, when evolution was a Smith machine. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, that was when I, so, you know, the, towards the time, like, you know, before his retirement and stuff. But like now going back and watching this stuff for the first time, and, and then like occasionally seeing his stuff from like NWA and stuff from the mid 80s, it's like that, that man could go. And like, especially in the past few months, watching like regularly watching WCW with you guys, man, he was so good. <laughs> like late 90s flair. Like, there's a reason why so many people idolize late 90s flair is because he could do everything. And throwing back to watching my Nitros the past few days, um, his return, like when he returned, he returned the Nitro, I think it was three weeks after the the cage match. The pop he got when he returned, like surprise return at Nitro, was enormous. And it just shows how over he was still in 1997. It seems like that's a that's a trope of 1997 WCW the 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 ratings boost for Ric Flair return after a extended stint away. But um, look, this this was a solid match. Uh, Rick's clearly got his uh, working boots on here. But how do you feel about Kurt Hennig like at the moment? Because this is the third pay per view that we've seen him at Simon. Is this all the second? I think well, we've seen him against DDP. We've seen him in War Games, and now yeah, here so maybe it's third. three. It's yeah. Third. yeah, yeah, because the first one he comes in as the mystery partner. Second one he betrays the horseman. This one is the sort of redemption uh, for the horseman. I don't know. I've always felt this about Kurt Henning in WCW. He just sort of seems to be there. Like he's not really like an impact player, is he? Well, two of the best guys he had chemistry with at you know near the end of his WWE run were Ric Flair and Bret Hart. And maybe he has his best WCW matches against them. Like, mm-hmm. this is pretty... I even made a note. I said this is pretty good for late 90s Kurt Hennig. And I know he has a match with Bret Hart. When Bret comes in, that's almost the last hurrah for Kurt Hennig. Like, that's his last good match. But yeah, he's kind of just there. He's not a main guy. He's sort of stuck in the middle of the NWO. He's not really... Yeah, not really doing anything. He's just filling a spot. He's mainly there because he wanted to keep wrestling because Vince was very much like, no, no, you're a manager or a commentator now. You enjoy that. So, um, yeah, not too bad there. Um, We'll get to our next uh, little segment here because this popped me greatly where they talk about Macho Man. You can get his real audio interview on WCWWrestling.com. And just because I want to pop myself here, Owen, do you have any idea what real audio is? (laughs) Yeah, I was confused by that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just to put it just to put it up into perspective, back in the day before MP3s, yeah, that's right. There was a time before MP3s, <laughs> uh, because obviously web files were just so large. Um, you'd have real audio and real video, which were very, very tiny. I'm talking like posted stamp size for the video, and the audio was just sounding like someone talking on a phone at its best quality. But uh, that's the format that was there. And hey, we loved it back in the day. And in fact, the first bit of real audio that I ever downloaded was um, Rockefeller Skank by uh, Fatboy Slim back in the day. <laughs> wow, that's the most late 90s thing ever. <laughs> I, do, I do want to say about this segment too, this is just a spot to talk about it. But did you notice the, um, 
the theme music that would play during transitions and during just segments and even the intro of the show and then later in the credits, that music will sound familiar to wrestling fans of the late 90s. Not only was it the Halloween Havoc theme music, but I guess, Nims, you're excited. Whose theme music was it in the WWE? It is Mark Merrow's. The Wild Man! It was a piece of stock music that both promotions used at the same time that would never happen again. It was Halloween Havoc. It was Mark Merrow. And from what I read, I didn't know. It was also Renegade's music later on too. I didn't know the Renegade one. And it was called Rough Rock. So there you go. Oh, there you go. But, oh, man, that, that. The, yeah, when I when I sort of, I sort of put two and two together about that, I'm like, why does this sound so familiar? <laughs> and then you, you go, oh my god, that's Mark Merrison, which makes it even better when Larry Zabisco comes out to it in the uh, next <laughs> yes. match. But um, uh, let's get before we get to Larry Zabisco as um, special guest referee, we got to get to the mean gene with JJ Dillon. Uh, now JJ is here on behalf of WCW management and says that Hogan versus Piper, it has to happen, and. One of my favorite tropes of the uh, Monday night was annoyed, outraged Eric Bischoff. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever see. In fact, was there any uh, instances of annoyed Eric on uh, the episodes of Nitro that you watched there on? Lots of times. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to think of, of some of the time. Oh. There was there was an episode where he was like he wasn't he he had like a weird like like five o'clock shadow and he just kept yelling at everybody like like that wasn't in NWO. Him, um, him saying this is so stupid, it's stupid. I could fight like that's what that's the big trope of uh, of the annoyed Bischoff. On the opposite end of yelling by Eric Bischoff, Mean Gene yelling at Eric Bischoff is my favorite thing in <laughs> 1990s professional wrestling. It is so good. Do you mind? Can you stop? Let me speak. It's like, yes, get into it. Yeah, Mean Gene like must have had an ironclad contract because he would stand up to everyone. It was like, what if the NWO just beat him up or fire him? But Mean Gene was like untouchable. It was great. <laughs> he was above everyone. I do want to say with this segment though, this reminded me of watching WCW as a kid because JJ Dillon was like the the face management guy and you know he would own Eric Bischoff every now and then but as a kid I didn't know who JJ Dillon was I didn't know the old school horseman I just thought he was this annoying old guy I hated JJ Dillon as a kid because I didn't know who he was and I liked the NWO do you know what the other fun thing so it was JJ Dillon and was it Harvey Schiller yeah, you'd see Harvey guy? Schiller sometimes. Yeah, yeah which he so, was literally a legit management guy, which is so weird. <laughs> that's the that's the bit that I was gonna bring up. Like it's literally like a front office dude, like, hey man, do you <laughs> yeah. want to be a nitro? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was really, really cool. But yeah, let's get to the match. Uh, it's Larry Zabisco coming out as a special guest referee. Mark Murrow's theme is playing in all of its glory. Then you have Scott Hall and Six versus Lex Luger. And all I'm gonna say is there is a absolutely mega pop for Luger. Like it is just, we've said it countless times, but we can't explain it, but somehow the man is incredibly over here. And uh, yeah. the Scott Hall toothpick gear will never, ever get old as far as I, uh, I, I will, <laughs> I will ever um, live here. But I'll tell you one thing that did annoy the absolute, but Jesus out of me, I've said this before, Larry Zabisco, I cannot stand his <laughs> commentary. And just when I thought I couldn't stand his commentary, I can't stand him as a ref because he's the loudest ref on the freaking planet. Like, 
he's so oh it just it did my head in like what about you guys what what did you think um i can't believe i'm gonna say this my first note is i'm weirdly invested in this match <laughs> like go like i mean the listeners can go back and listen to the last episode zabisco really does piss me off but watching the nitros and like i don't know i'm weirdly into this match and I actually quite like the reason I like Zabisco as a ref is because he does it probably better than most refs. He checks he does, everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I was really, really into this um, for some reason. But like the chemistry between Hall and Zabisco is like second to none. Like I don't think anybody on this card had better chemistry than those two. Yeah, you get a real sense that they hated each other. Like we've got to give Scott Hall some credit and Zabisco, but especially Hall for being one of the best wrestlers of 97 and then having this hot of a feud with an old retired announcer and the crowd is into it. Like credit to Scott Hall for, you know, going with this, but the past few months, the crowd's been louder for this than almost everything on the pay-per-views. So they, they used to feud in the Florida days, didn't they? Like AWA, wouldn't it? In the Back AWA in the and yeah. I, I think, I think this is, this is essentially uh, Hall's way of sort of thanking Larry for all that he did because Hall was a Hall and Hedick were actually really massive back in the AWA days. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a really hilarious um, video on YouTube for the AWA Wrestle Rock Rumble where it's got, yeah. <laughs> where it's got Kurt Hedick and Scott Hall coming out of a pool uh, singing uh, together. <laughs> Uh, like I'm Kurt Heading, a big Scott Hall, and it's like they've just—it <laughs> it, is—it's the most bizarre thing you'll ever see. But um, yeah, this is this is kind of um, uh, Scott Hall sort of giving thanks to Larry Zabisco essentially. But I've got to say, you're right—the crowd pops for Larry more than I've actually written this down. Crowd pops more for Larry more than Hall and Luger. <laughs> mm. There's a moment where Larry Zabisco backdrops Scott Hall out of the ring, and the crowd goes crazy. And then the match really kicks up a notch right at the end. We get Eric Bischoff coming out to interfere and Larry kicks him off the ropes and gets an even louder pop. He kicked the crap out of him. Yeah, he really gave him one. And I didn't realize, but I was looking into it because we know Eric Bischoff has the karate fighter gimmick. Like, you know, he used to be a karate guy. So did Larry Zabisco, which I didn't know. That was also part of his early wrestling career too he would like wear a gi sometimes and do mixed martial arts moves before it was popular so there you go bischoff and zabisco doing some white guy karate in 97 did not know that that is amazing um look this was this was a pretty stellar man it's only when bischoff comes out that's when like things really start to heat up because it's this is not the best scott hall match like i've i've gone on record that I reckon Scott Hall, 97, is the peak Scott Hall. Even better than some of his Razor stuff because he's really going out there and having barn burners. But um, a Razor's Edge finishes off the match. And uh, it's it's kind of cool because the three count that Zabisco does rivals HBKs mm. at SummerSlam in a way. Like he does the... It's, he really can't... It's like... Ugh. But um, the replay gets the restart of the match and Hall gets into the torture rack. The, you didn't really need the replay, did you? Like, like that just seemed like a good excuse for Larry to get some, um, to get some talking time. I thought I kind of liked it because it showed that Larry was smarter yeah. than an average ref. He asked for the replay, but then again, we see replays after every match. So why isn't every match restarted? It is a yeah. gap in logic there, you know. 
Yeah, and it just it's to me just like come on, Larry, like <laughs> shut up, just get off my screen, you idiot. You really when, hate him. <laughs> and then when they oh, when they start, just I'm just so sick of him from 1997. Him trying to get New World odor over <laughs> purely for this reason, nothing yeah. else. So when he's getting beaten down by the NWO afterwards, I'm like, yeah, that's it. Get the boots into him, six. Uh, speaking of which, six took a hell of a selling there, like. <laughs> He's walking to the back like he's just been shot. Yep. <laughs> uh, pretty crazy stuff. Uh, we then get to a quick little commercial for World War Three. I do love the post-apocalyptic sort of uh, vibes that they tried to go for World War Three. But yeah. having watched uh, all, I think it was five World War Threes that they did. Yeah, 95, 96, 97, 98. No, four. Was there one before Hogan came in? I don't think so, no. I don't think so, yeah. Um, so yeah, it it's the, the gimmick really sort of loses its luster, especially when you try to see three tiny screens on a four by three CRT. <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll push on from that. Unless okay, anyone, if you got, yeah, oh, yeah, I've got something, and this this comment is directed purely at Simon. So I'm, unless you you might get news, but I know Simon will get it. The 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 guy in the gas mask and like the whole ad reminded me of so far so good so what by Megadeth. Yes, he did. He looked like <laughs> yes, a metal head. <laughs> he should win the World War Three. Did have a real Megadeth vibe, but then again, they show up in WCW. They show up in '99. To this day, like I actually I know Megadeth more as the theme song to um to Goldberg and to Sting. Actually, no, Sting was Metallica, wasn't it? Yeah. He did Sting, yeah. yeah, Sting was live at Woodstock, so he could destroy. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Um, but which is pretty cool. But uh then we get to our next match, Randy Savage versus DDP. Ooh. And I gotta say, Macho Man with Slim Jim branding is just absolutely phenomenal. Ooh, yes. Name a more iconic duo than DDP and injured ribs as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Macho and Slim Jim. Yeah, that's it. This was basically a tag team match. It was Macho and Slim Jim versus the tape ribs and DDP. Also, I love how they just strapped my parents' old mattress to DDP's ribs. Yeah, the comical <laughs> amount of tape on DDP's ribs would be like, and yeah, a this, running thing. And just this big, like, just this big cotton sponge yeah. just on his right-hand side. The man was sore. The commentators even went into it. They're like, look at his taped ribs. And then they were putting over how brutal their last match was. And I love it because it's such a 90s thing because now it's so common. But Heenan was like, DDP was so injured after their last match. He needed acupuncture. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I could just go to the shopping center and get acupuncture. It's not a big and deal. Al- like, And also look at like every wrestler ever. They all come out with like cupping marks on them. Yeah, days. yeah, exactly. Imagine cupping back then. It would have blown Heenan's mind. So <laughs> the best part about the the injured ribs is it's it's actually one of his alternate attires in <laughs> WCW NWR events. Like you can actually get DDP. What, with is the it actually? Rib. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. Just, um, look, this is this is just a fantastic uh like match. These guys they had barn burners everywhere. They brawl near the flock, which was an interesting one because Billy Kidman with that real goth look, um, and old school goth look, uh, you know, like the 99 angsty teenager pre-tumbler riding on a live journal sort of uh look. Um, you know what I loved about like like that part where they go into Raven's flock and they go through the crowd. Did you see that really weird guy who leant into the camera and was like NWO NWO and then behind the camera? 
No, but did you? I did notice a guy who took his shirt off, his shirt off? out of yeah. excitement <laughs> when they were brawling near him. That guy was, yeah, way into it. At did one point, Tony... Sorry, did you know that he goes to like when he takes a shirt off, he goes to throw it into the crowd and realizes oh, I probably should keep this. <laughs> I'm not going to get another shirt. Yeah. At one point, though, Tony Schiavone had a pretty great line when they were walking back past the flock. He's like, "Oh, now I know why Raven has so many followers because he always gets front row seats." I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's kind of good." Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was pretty good. That part was a very, very good little, uh, a, a great call there. I thought, but this is a really, really good match and Savage just like i don't know it, it's it's i just loved that how much fun that ddp uh not ddp sorry the dusty road seemed to have oh with ddp God. smashing um much man over on the stage with a bit of the set he wobble legged him he wobble legged yeah. him <laughs> that was my favorite him. favorite line of commentary for the night did you also see that one of the names on the headstones on the set was alvis yeah there was an alvis tombstone the, the, we got to say, though, the set for Halloween Havoc, even though it's their so ent- good, intro video might have been low rent, the stage was awesome. Like the That's giant the budget skull. Went. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the big skull and all of those tombstones. I know they were like foam and really thin cardboard, but it looked cool when they were brawling through it. It was fantastic. And the, the other part, too, that I love, Elizabeth getting involved in the match. Oh, actually, before we get to Elizabeth, this is not a good men for uh, this. It's not a good month for cameramen in both the WWE mm. and WCW because a cameraman gets absolutely taken out. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, she gets involved as well, and uh, out comes <laughs> out comes Kimberly, and Dusty loses his mind once again, channeling Joey Styles with cat the catfight call. Catfight. He says it about nine hundred times. Yeah. He loses his mind. Like, this is the point of the paper where I reckon Dusty Rhodes has just gone completely bunt. I was like, oh, I don't give a damn anymore. <laughs> um, I- speaking, of go- speaking of going crazy, um, did you guys notice that Nick Patrick counted nine twice in one of the, in no. one of the counts? He was like, seven, nine, <laughs> nine. And then they get up at the second. Uh, he forgot eight. He counted nine twice. <laughs> I do want to say, I think Dusty Rhodes accidentally gave away part of the match early and he didn't realize when they were brawling in the, um, the, the graveyard. And, you know, when he said he wobble legged him, he said that Macho hit him with the drinks tray. And they were all like, what are you talking about, Dusty? He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's oh sorry. I think he hit him with it. The... And they were like, oh, you're remembering all your bar fights. And I thought that was weird. I'm like, why would he say a drinks tray in a graveyard? But then later on, when Liz interfered, she hit DDP with a drinks tray. But also, yep. where did she get a drinks tray from anyway? And why was that the weapon used? It was all confusing. The best part about the drinks tray is that uh, all of a sudden Dusty's like, I told you there'd be a drinks tray. (laughs) (laughs) He knew there's always drinks tray at a wrestling Uh, event. He knew. Uh, There's a pretty cool spot there where Savage blocks the diamond cutter by hanging onto the rope. Uh, We see a fake sting come out and he takes out Paige for the bat. Um, At least causes causes the, uh, the finish. At least this time around, they're not pretending that it's Sting. It's just like, oh, well, that's a fake Sting. <laughs> it's just they, like... they, they tried to get over the fact it was Hogan. Yeah, I, I think, 
Yeah, they're like, oh, it's Hogan, it's Hogan, it's Hogan is Sting. I was like, no, it's not. That's not Hogan. <laughs> no, well, that, that's, the, that's the thing that they're trying to do, uh, like, because they were trying to, like, because they are trying to say that he's Hogan is Sting. Because, like, oh, look at the boots and all that sort of stuff. But it's clearly, obviously, it's clearly not Hogan. But, um, yeah, it, it was just strange that the ending there. But I did appreciate the fact that they didn't try and go, Oh, it's Sting. How could he turn his back on WCW? It's just like, well, yeah. you know by now that it's a fake Sting if it interferes. A weird thing about this match is Randy Savage winning. So Randy Savage wins, and this feels like the end of the feud, which I kind of forgot because when you hear this, this feud spoken about in the future, DDP obviously puts over how much Randy Savage helped his career and like lifted him to that main event level, which he did, and, and he they definitely that does is... that for yeah. DDP. But it's really weird that Randy Savage kind of wins the feud, though. I don't remember it that way. You know, I remember no, it, the match D- DDP wins and that's it. And the narrative here, especially since Macho passed, is like, oh, he was so generous. I'm the, I'm the reason I'm a main eventer because yeah. of like, because Randy was so generous. You forget that he did win that feud. So, yeah, this is a, it's another common thing that we often sort of say with WCW pay-per-views, but they don't know how to really structure it because we get back to the booth and it does seem like, the three-man booth is filling time at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they knew how long this cage would take to get ready because the main event is a cage match, but it's not the normal cage we would see in the WWE or WCW. I don't know where they got this terrible-looking thing from because it is not good. No. It, it, it kind of looks like that 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 like weird metal fencing that your grandparents have that, that they grow their vine tomatoes around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it was actually this cage was actually taken from one of uh ted turner's pagolas uh, <laughs> that's how bad it looks it, it is the most rickety looking cage in the world uh hogan comes out and i gotta say uh when piper comes out afterwards he's got the world championship with him and it just looks weird seeing him with that nwo belt now he wasn't really the champion he just took the belt took the title yeah 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 um, which is quite amusing too, because I think whoever developed WCW and WR events thought he was world champion because to unlock Rowdy Roddy Piper, you have to beat him in the career mode. Well, at least in the, in the, in the world heavyweight championship mode where he's the world champion. So, and he's never been a world champion in his life. So very odd. Um, what I did love, uh, like when Buffer was doing the introductions and he was like the survivor, if there is a survivor, was he having a dig at their age or, <laughs> or how rickety the cage was? I think it was just pointing out how dumb the rules were of this match because, as he said there, how do you win? It's whoever survives. What the hell does that mean? What This was a... We've been pretty generous to WCW main events for yeah. the whole run of this show. We've said, ah, oh, it's just a bit of silly fun with Hogan or, oh, you know, dumb gimmick match. This is the first one where I can't even defend how no. bad it was. This was straight up garbage. This <laughs> is just, this is from top to bottom. It is the, first off, there's some weird, it's just, I, I, don't know, I don't know where to start. Okay, so let's start with the, the monotonous sort of climbing of the cage. Why would you want to climb a cage that is 20 feet high when there is a working door right there, literally near where you're trying to climb? Which they both walk out of at one <laughs> yeah. stage, do a lap of the cage, and then get back in the cage. 
And the commentators don't even know the rules because at one point they mention there's no referee in the ring because you have to escape to win. Then when they both walk out, the commentator's like, oh, that doesn't count because they both walked out together. It's like, you don't know, know what you're talking about. That's so <laughs> yeah. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. how funny was it when Piper bit Hogan right on, on the, the ass? On the ass, yeah. <laughs> like, took a massive chunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was like, it was seriously like, like Rowdy Roddy Piper just picked the first mango of the season and just went <laughs> straight into it. Hogan was mango colored, so it he was leathery like a mango. <laughs> to be fair, he bites his ass, his back, and then his head. So he's getting the full three course meal. <laughs> yeah, well, what is it? Three a day keeps the doctor. Away. <laughs> <laughs> but there is another one, and I, I, I think I told you about this. Uh, I, I told you guys about this last night, but I'm gonna say it again. There's a great bit because the, the the spacing of the cage, they're fairly <laughs> large cubes. There's a bit where both of them go to do a double headbutt. But they have to sort of find an actual bit of the bar that they could hit. And <laughs> Tony Schiavone sells it like death. It is just so good. Um, it, at one point in time, Hogan just sort of goes, ah, to hell with this. I'm done. And does his usual walk towards the back. A fake sting appears and then uh, sends Hogan back. Piper and Hogan then battle back into the ring. Then there are two stings at the ramp. Eventually... There will be five stings. I think there's five, isn't there? Yeah, I've got that, I've got that bit yes. right there. But there is a bit before the bunch of stings make their way to the ring where Piper and Hogan are fighting at the top of the cage. And it is like watching two people on stilts in a gale force wind. That's how, <laughs> that's how incredibly bad that cage is. That was the highlight of the match, though. That was a great visual because this cage is as tall as Hell in a Cell and these two old men are sitting on top of it, <laughs> punching each other. And you're thinking, this could fall onto the crowd at any point. So that was exciting. But did you notice the lack of pop for any of the stings? The crowd has been stinged out, you know, with the yep. fake one interfering in DDP and Savage. They didn't even take the bait for any of the stings. They didn't pop at all. I said this yeah. to you last night. I'm over the fake stings. The fake stings, I'm... It's funny. It's, 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 I'm, I'm talking as if I'm watching this in real time. I'm watching this for the first time. But I'm over all these fake stings. Yeah, because one popped up, and then two popped up in the ring, and then one popped up in the bleachers, yeah. and then one popped up front row. It's like, what are you doing? It's the yeah. boy who cried wolf. It's the, the announcer who called Sting. We don't believe it anymore. We're like, that's not Sting. <laughs> It's like, look, we know, we know it's not Stig. Like, you know, at this point, they're not even trying to pretend that it's Stig here too. Yeah. Um, and I've just, I've just written down here, a uh, bunch of Stings make their way to the ring. Air is sucked out of the crowd. Yeah. And that is actually something that I have written down in my notes. It's fantastic. Um, Macho Man then comes out and, may I point out, completely ignores the Stings. <laughs> He just oh my God. right past him. He doesn't even oh. pretend. He's like, ah, whatever. The Stings don't even try and stop Macho either. Like, I know they're NWO Stooges, but yeah, it was just a mess. I uh, this this part, like, I really haven't popped like audibly that much watching this because it is old wrestling, and I just kind of like, oh, that's cool, whatever. Oh, like, oh, what was that? I legitimately screamed and then laughed at what what happens next. And then my mum walk, walks in and she's like, what are you watching? I'm like, 
I don't even know what's going on anymore. Because <laughs> I almost just saw Randy Savage die. Yeah, it's it's pretty horrific because he gets up to the top. So first off, he scales that. Um, he absolutely ferrets up the cage, stands at the top, stands at the top of the cage, and then does a axe handle that then misses Piper completely, takes out Hogan. Hogan on the bonce, directly yeah. on top of the bonce. It's it's just like at what point in time do you go? Oh, oh, that's this is definitely not going to go. And then after after all that. Piper ends up winning by sus- uh, submission. We didn't even know submission was a way you could win, but yeah. he just wins by submission. Well, I guess that's surviving the match. With Randy Savage jumping off the cage, it is very impressive because it's stupidly high. He shouldn't have it done it. No. What's interesting about it, as you would imagine, it's not really a surprise, he wrecked both, both of his knees doing this move. And in a couple of months, he would take time off to get both of his knees done. He would be gone for 10 months and essentially never be the same again. Also, he could hit a flying axe handle onto Hulk Hogan's head in the worst match ever. To be fair, uh, knowing Randy Savage, he'd, he'd, he'd I'd do it all over again, brother, to take <laughs> yeah. out that L. Oh, yeah, you coward, Hogan. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, when, but when he comes back, is that when we get slick, like slick back reverse yeah. beret? No, no, no not, not yet. It's not yet midlife crisis, um, Macho. <laughs> but when, when he would take time off for the surgery, though, he would then yeah. come back. Yeah. Later. Oh, yes, yes. So it's Sorry, still a yes. while, but this was the downward spiral. This was yes. the start of it. That axe handle off the cage. <laughs> So you're telling me I have to keep watching Nitro just to see midlife. You have got, now. you've literally got another year yeah, because you still, we've still got Wolfpack Randy Savage to come. So that's good. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah, uh, and and the NWO imploding Randy Savage because yeah, well, yes, when he does come back, it is the oh yeah, what up, March? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That, it's the it's the infamous if you've never seen if you ever watched Botchamania, it's the send for the man, uh, Randy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's get to let's get to the post match because we get an NWO beatdown after the match, and then you get the we want Sting chance. Finally, the crowd's like, surely they're going to give us Sting. Where well, they've given us five fake ones. Do we get Sting? Eh-eh, they don't. No. Then the most interesting part of the entire pay per view, a fan. A fan scales the cage uh, and on watching it again, doesn't do a great job of climbing the cage because there's bits where he slips off and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, gets into the ring and then gets taken out by the NWO. Now, this is the endless debate that will has probably gone from, from 97 onwards. Now, I did a bit of research too, Simon. And from what I gathered, WCW, because my argument was, and we talked about this last night at length we were just like why would they continually show the fan like they were doing camera cuts they were doing this they were doing that wcw would do that wwe definitely wouldn't they'd cut away to another angle they they'd not make a big thing of it wcw they might as well give the guy a nameplate that's what they would do (laughs) yeah so it, my thoughts uh, have have switched a little bit to this is just a deranged fan, but at I the same time, this is... It's yeah. got to be a fan. There's no way they would do this because then if you made it out that he was, you know, a plant, then you're going to encourage other fans to yeah. do it. 
I think the um, production team just didn't know whether it was part of the show or not and just kept shooting it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and another, th- another thing that sort of gets into the, um, that leads towards the evidence in the, I think it's a fan column is the level that Randy Savage beats the ever loving tar out of him. Because <laughs> we talk about uh, name an iconic duo uh, in terms of ribs and DDP. Macho Man Randy Savage and beating up fans that enter the ring <laughs> in in late 90s Nitro is 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 like ham and cheese. Like that's how good they go together. Um and I, I do like what you said last time for the when we were out for dinner. Um that was, you can tell it was a fan because it was the realest punch Hogan's ever played. Yeah. Somebody. Hogan gives him, he doesn't give him that three punch and then the Irish whip. He just gives him one punch to the head and it's all over. Well, like, cause the, it all started because one of the fake things, the one the, the fake thing that got launched out of the ring by Hogan was selling on the ground. He had the fan in like a triangle. Mm. Yeah, he tried to stop him. He tried to stop him. And then he breaks, and and, and, but he had him down. And then Hogan and Macho walk up going, Ooh, we'll get some of that. Mm, Yeah. And they just beat him up. Fan in the the ring, Randy Savage, this shark smells some blood. But imagine getting beat up by the mega powers for real. That's pretty cool (laughs) for that fan. Legit. Teamed up and beat the hell out of him. But what I love is how, how Macho, like, full Nelson, the yeah. fan, into the ring just to beat the piss out of him in the ring mm. was the best. But on that episode of 83 Weeks with Bischoff, he actually did say it was a legit fan. Like, it wasn't a plant. Because mm. Conrad was like, oh, it wasn't a plant. And then Bischoff was like, no, he's like, no, it was a legit fan. He's like. It's crazy. You go. That's crazy. I was going to say, and then what's weird about it, not only was that a fan, because the the thing that makes you think maybe it was a plant is that that's how the show ends. So you yeah. would think, oh, maybe that was part of the show. They, were, they had nothing else planned. If this fan didn't run in, how was this show going to end? So if and- this if this fan, um, <laughs> do you reckon it'd be funny if like the original ending is Sting to come down from the rafters and then Sting's just up there like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he's like halfway down, then roll the credits. He's like, oh, no. Yeah, he, he missed the pay-per-view timeout and it was all over. Because Shivani didn't even sign off. They just cut to credit. Yeah. It was just, yeah, a fan getting beaten up. Then someone sort of went, let's just show Roddy Roddy Piper a hank after the cage. And then all of a sudden, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc and now- credits roll. Speaking of, of Piper handcuffed to the cage, this fan popped up throughout the entire pay-per-view. The guy in the Papa Shango airbrushed sweater. He he popped up a lot and he was behind Piper. He had like a he had like a like a massive Piper doll and he was shoving it through the cage and was wagging it in Piper's face. But then like every time they cut to him throughout the show, he had a different toy in his hand. He just took his whole collection to the live yeah. show. That's weird. But then, it, like during yeah, but like during the the main event, he had this. It was like this big like WWF Piper doll with the kilt on the hot rod, um, shirt on, and he was shoving it through the hole in the cage and was like shaking it in Piper's face. Just a big fig fan. Just wanted a <laughs> just a quick little order. Like, yeah, but like I'm gonna pay was, you twenty bucks at your gimmick table. Do it now. <laughs> yeah, but like he, he had this amazing airbrush Papa Shango um j- jumper on. Odd cat. 
odd cat is all yeah. I'm going to say. And it's, it's good to see that even without Facebook, they still existed back in 1997. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, we, we've established that this is a very interesting way to finish off a pay-per-view. And you're right, Simon, because what would have happened? Does that mean... So this beatdown with the fan goes for probably about four or five minutes. Yeah. Is that just four or five minutes that they were just going to beat up Roddy Piper? Beat up Piper handcuffed to the cage, which would have been even worse. At least this gave us something to to laugh about but yeah it would have been mm. a real downer of an ending a, a, a downer to one of the worst pay-per-view main events ever too like this was really really bad it was hot garbage. because we've seen hogan and uh piper have some fun matches over the past year but this yeah you've jumped yep. the shark you've gone to this the well one, too many times just when you thought that that the the, <laughs> the um the ending to the pay-per-view between Hogan and Piper just can't end the pay-per-view oh, yeah, well. That's right. Because do you remember, remember when it was like Rowdy Roddy Piper was just like, and at WrestleMania, where we did that match. And then at Madison Saturday Night's match, it's like, oh my God, is he what is he doing? And then yeah. Tony's like, we'll see you tomorrow on Nitro. But uh, let's let's run through the, the entire show as a whole. What did we think of Halloween Havoc 1997? I'll start off with you on because Halloween Havoc 1997 is legendary. It is one of the great pay-per-views that you'd be led to believe. However, after watching it, what do you think? Steaming hot turd. It like it it sucks that Eddie and Ray was on this pay-per-view. Cause it's because because yeah, like as you said, like it, a lot of people I talk to, oh, it's one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time for one match. Hmm. Oh, well, look. Savage and, and DDP was was really good. I really enjoyed good. that. Yeah, that's good too. Um, that was yeah, that was really solid. And like the bias Japan mark in me really liked Nagata and Dragon and Gato and Jericho, but they were actually two quite good matches. But like that main event just sucked the life out of it. Mm-hmm. And the whole like the Mongo and Alex Wright thing. Oh man, it like it, I, I'd probably give it like a six out of ten if I was generous. That is being very generous. Uh, like, if you take away uh, the Eddie match, that gets to me. It gets dragged down to like yeah. a two, yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting done by Eddie and um, and Ray. What about you, Simon? What do you think? Well, I think Eddie and Ray and DDP and Randy Savage both kind of stand the test of time. They're both good, but this kind of proves that idea of like you know a good main event saves a bad show, a bad main event ruins a good show. This main event is so bad that Awful. I think. Overall, it leaves you feeling down on the show as a whole because, yeah, w- once we started running through the main event again, I was like, oh, this show sucked. Did mm, it yeah. suck or was this match so bad? And also, it took up almost an hour between the entrances and the beatdown that, yeah, it's hard to sort of forget about it. But, yeah, I- I'm putting this in the worst category of the year. To me, this is WCW's answer. We mentioned... um during our WrestleMania 13 review, Simon, how like, you know, it's a one match card Two, if you include the street fight, mm. this is pretty much the equivalent. Yeah, it's a one match you. card. Um, thankfully the Rey Mysterio versus Eddie matches on a whole bunch of compilations. You could find it very easily. So you don't have to dig up and find this, uh, same deal with the, uh, Macho Man and DDP match. Thankfully that feud has been preserved. So without, without uh, all the fat's been trimmed off it, which is pretty cool. Uh, as we always do before we wrap up, though, we always go for an MVP. We'll start off with you, Simon. Who do you think was the MVP uh, of this pay-per-view? 
I'm going to say Eddie Guerrero for one of his best heel performances ever and one of his best wrestling performances ever. Him and Ray had such great chemistry, and I think the match was anchored by Eddie Guerrero's amazing heel work. Uh, I had a quick look too. We were saying before, you know, was this the match of the year according to the Wrestling Observer? It came in at number four, but here's what's amazing about this time of 97. We've discussed how this is when things heat up. Number four is Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. Number three is Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, Hell in a Cell. So October 97, both promotions are going off with, you know, some of the best stuff we've ever seen. One last one. Actually, Owen, your MVP? Um, I don't like to double up. So I, I will agree with, like, Simon's a writer, was Eddie. Um. But I reckon my it, it would probably be Ray or Scott Hall. Probably Ray. We'll go with Ray. Go with Ray. I'd yeah. actually I'd take it one step further and I'd go and say that Randy Savage is the MVP of this. <laughs> oh, because nice. because and the only reason I say that is because he's the only one that seems to keep the the he's the common thread that sort of if you watch the entire pay-per-view as a whole. Like take the entire thing as a whole. His promo to set up the match is so good. Uh, his match with DDP also good, and he does his best to try and salvage that absolute garbage dumpster fire of a main event too, with a very very silly double axe handle off the top. So I got to give it to Macho Man okay. Randy Savage. There. You know what? It also wouldn't be Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc without Randy <laughs> Savage. Should. So you're right. Yeah. He is the MVP. <laughs> and one last one too. This is actually the last time that we will see, unless I'm... No, no, this is the last time we will see that Halloween Havoc set. Because from Halloween Havoc 1998, it's Snickers and um, the giant pumpkin. That is not as good. Not as good as the big um, <laughs> skull and the Slim Jim. And the yellow, Slim Jim, yeah. Yellow post on the ring. <laughs> But yeah, look, it's all in all, uh, like, I can't wait, actually, till we actually review Halloween Havoc 1998, because that seems to be a cursed pay-per-view as well. So uh, <laughs> a, a great little thing there. But Owen, as always, thank you so much for jumping on board. A little bonus for our Reliving the Wall listeners. For our next edition, Owen is going to join us because it is WWF Survivor Series 1997. Oh, yeah. A fairly yes. eventful pay-per-view, if you uh, we say the least. It's it's interesting too, Simon, because like I, I, I've only uh, watched a couple of matches at the start of it, and thank heavens that Bret Hart got screwed at the end because otherwise, oh, that's awful. Look, the show picks up steam. I put it on uh, in researching this episode, and I didn't look at the matches on the network. I was just watching it as it was going. I'm like, oh no, this isn't good so far at all. But <laughs> yeah, you know what? Know. About halfway through, it finally picks up steam. You know, that's the curse of Survivor Series matches. When you've got 10 guys in each match, you're bound to get a few duds. Well, there's only 80 this one. They're only four on four Survivor Series matches. Not the five on five. Yeah. Um, But no, I'm looking forward to it, boys. Uh, Thanks for having me on again for this WCW show and looking forward to the next one as well. But um, I actually did in real time just finish watching uh, Survivor Series. So I have a lot to say. But I will hold it on until uh, until we jump on next time for the, uh, the the review of the Survivor Series 97. But I must say one thing, and that crowd is red hot from start to finish. 
Yeah, that is one thing you can count on uh, the Canadian crowds to do back in that era. But um, this has been another edition of Reliving the War. You can catch up on the archives by jumping to greywolfentertainment.net. You can search Grey Wolf Entertainment on Spotify. Check out the socials, Grey Wolf ENT on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Simon Tackler and for Owen Jones, I've been Nims Azor. We'll see you next time on Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.